Now that we've gotten a little bit of our like Halloween joys out of the way, oh, I should also say, just in case anybody doesn't know, we are going to have a Halloween night special that is coming out on the 31st. So if you are home, if you're passing out candy and you want to spend an evening listening to Creep Time, we're going to have a brand new episode just for you. And we're also on the Halloween Hub now, officially on Spotify. So thank you, Spotify, for adding us to the Halloween Hub. Make sure to go listen to our episode. And for today's case, Stu, I have a highly requested story. Well, several stories, but a highly requested topic, I should say. It is the very complex and insidious Missing 411. Have you heard of this conspiracy before? Before me telling it to you? No, I had not. That's kind of surprising because I don't think this is all too new, actually. But I do have a little bit of the backstory behind it. And then we're going to take a look at three prominent missing 411 cases. Um, But to give you like a top line, it is a theory and a string of strange events that kind of suggest that there is something going on within our national parks in the U.S. Does that sound familiar? Well, I feel like that particularly doesn't sound familiar, but I do feel like there's something about national parks where they are Mm-hmm. like inherently you feel like you kind of walk in and something could go down totally like no man's land in a, in a weird way because yeah. it's so yeah. vastly different from the rest of the country that you're in there and you're like I, I don't even know how to describe it Westworld is what's coming to mind but that's not the right term yes. but it's like you're contained inside like a special land so yeah it yes. does feel like things can go wrong and it's like heavily unmonitored but This theory kind of stems from decades of thousands of people who have gone missing in national parks under some very eerie circumstances. And this project had investigated a lot of the connecting patterns between these disappearances to suggest that there is something going on that we don't fully know. But before we dive in, I'll just do a quick to do. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by Creep Time, the podcast with Silasine and Stu. We love you for sticking around every week with us to hang out, checking out this episode. Please do make sure that you follow, hit the bell notification so you don't miss the new episodes when they come out on Friday. And you can always leave us a review on Spotify or Apple. And for those of you who continue to spread the word about this podcast, thank you so much from Stu and I. Thank you. Like, even just beyond just introducing the podcast to, like, their friends, like, family, coworkers, it is every time Creepers go online and they mention or recommend us on, like, Reddit or, like, in the comments on socials on Insta or in YouTube comments. It just – it introduces us to a whole new group of people, a number of Creepers to be, who just come upon these stories and maybe hear stories they'd never heard. So if you have a moment today – you know, Stu and I would absolutely appreciate it if you took a second to just comment somewhere, suggest creep time somewhere online to tell somebody why you love to listen. We absolutely thank you and love you for it. And thank you for making this show as special and as inclusive as it is. And Stu, with that, do you have any thank you? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off if you had any thank yous. Well, oh, <laughs> well I did. <laughs> I'm cracking up because no, 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 because what I just did to you was very no, adjacent. I just went thank you <laughs> over the top of you thanking everybody. So <laughs> I got my thank yous out, but creepers, we we love you guys so much. And I feel like the creepers are also growing stronger day by day right now. They are. It is it is partially the season too. Yeah. We're all like together, like working like cells where we're just getting yes. stronger. We're bonding. Yes. Now that we've got some of the lighter stuff out of the way, Stu. Are you ready to feel freaked out about the missing 411 project? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <Whew. clears throat> now, before we get into it, I'm later on going to give some warnings before I'm going to play something that a lot of you might find disturbing. Um, but I'll give a quick warning now just to let you know that that is coming down the line. So if you're like listening to this in the background, do not be jarred <laughs> when 
something comes out of the woodworks here. So here's a little bit of backstory just to give you context about the Missing 411 project. Now, Missing 411, it is a kind of considered a collective project or investigation or really for some people a conspiracy, as some see it, um, that has looked into the consistent unsolved mystery that is taking place across North America for those who have gone missing in or near our national parks. So many have referred to the phenomenon as America's boogeyman to suggest that these are not simply cases of people who are getting lost, but these are people who are being taken while in the parks. Every year, and I, when I first learned about this, I was shocked. There are a staggering number of disappearances that take place in our national parks, specifically national parks in the U.S. And while these statistics are mostly public and very shocking, there is kind of an eerie level of disinterest from bodies of government to explore and search for these people. And we don't know why. Now, Missing 411, as a project and investigation stemmed from a man named David... Uh, Politis, I think is how you say his last name. I had it before, like I I had played it for myself, but now I'm forgetting it. I think his name is David Politis. Now, he was a former police officer who had become privy to this unusual consistency of people going missing in these parks, and he started to seek answers. So he eventually left the force to become a full-time investigator after 20 years. This guy worked on like, he was on like the SWAT unit. He worked at the detectives unit. He leaves the force so he can pursue decoding the patterns of this phenomenon and what he classified as the missing 411 cases. Now, originally, he had noticed patterns and began to kind of come around to the idea that maybe there was something out there, like something kind of like a creature, similar to like the legends of Sasquatch hiding in the forest. He wasn't really considering anything else until he was out in one of these parks doing an investigation And a ranger was talking to him, and they got into a conversation. He talked about his project, and the ranger allegedly kind of broke down and confided in him and said that he was deeply concerned that something was going on across other national parks in the U.S. from things that he saw, disappearances that he knew of, and he thought something much bigger and grander was happening. So the mystery of these disappearances started to feel even more complex than just a creature that was out there in the woods. The question is, what is going on in these parks? Do you feel unnerved? Does this unnerve you the way it does for me? Because for me, it it hits me in the gut. It does because we have talked about this, the woods, that like vast open space. Couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm, I'm immediately, un, I'm unsettled immediately. I get freaked out. And I've, I've gone to a good number of national parks. Have you been to many? I have. Um, I recently went to Yellowstone and when you just like get up far enough up in the mountain and you're looking out over everything and you're just like, how is this, <laughs> how are all of these people, we c- are coming in here and moving in and out and yet I don't see anybody. It's weird. It's a weird feeling to look into yeah. like almost when I think of a forest from like a high elevation looking out, it's like an abyss of nothing but you have this inherent feeling and knowledge that like there's so much lurking beneath the trees. That's unsettling. It's just like the same thing of the ocean, really. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say it's like something the ocean. Something is not right. <laughs> something is not wrong. Or something is quite wrong. <laughs> something is hella wrong. <laughs> That's Miss Clavel. Something is hella wrong. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> but mama but it's it's freaky it's really really freaky and the more i really think about it i i've had experiences in national parks where you can feel a sense of unease or you almost feel like you're being watched and last time i went to a national park it was the sequoia national forest and bryce was really he was with us and he was really insistent on like trying to go off the trail i can't tell you of a quicker way to make me hate you I can't tell you of a quicker way for me to want to cut you off and then cut you up. Like going off trail, not something in my book that I want to be doing. Not interested. No. When have you ever heard of it going right? 
that that was the thing. I was like, so I was kind of passively like, like Bryce, what are we, what are we looking for? Like, what are we doing out here? And he wanted to like really see like wildlife because he knew wildlife wouldn't be near the trails because that's where people are and they get scared. And I'm like, I don't want to see a bear in the wild. I don't have interest in that. Have you ever seen a a bear or a moose like in person? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to say, when I saw the bear, I was like, okay, bears are, like, that's terrifying, but, like, amazing. When I saw a damn moose, I, I about fainted. I was like, that is prehistoric. <laughs> like, I... They're huge. How is that they're a real... So they're big. huge. And they're, like, so, like, slow moving. Like, I, it honestly looked like an a, like a animatronic to me. I was like, what is that? That's but crazy. Like, eerily unpredictable, too. Like, yes. they're so slow and, like, passive. But, like, at any second, you feel like they could just sprint or buck. Like, they're crazy. 100%. It's really, I was, I mean, I was getting more and more anxious as, like, the we were going deep, deep off the trail. Like, trekking through, like, like unpaved like unpaved trails and grass like we were in the woods (laughs) out in the sticks and i was like rice we're going really far i don't know if we we should keep going and he just kept pressing on and being really stubborn and i find i had to be a bitch i had to be a bitch (laughs) (laughs) and i in front of everybody in front of the whole group i put my foot down and i said i don't want to do this anymore (laughs) it made everybody go back Hold on, let me mark he down said, the time. <laughs> I'm going back and I'm busting open my monster mix, trail yeah. mix from Target, and I'm that, relaxing on the that's trail. The other problem we had a bunch of food on us. When you're hiking that deep and you're getting close, we had no bear protection. I bought bear mace for everybody in my family because I'm that paranoid about bears. We had no bear spray. They didn't even know like what to do when like you see a black bear versus a brown bear. Granted, there are no grizzlies near the sequoias, but you're definitely, you could run into a black bear for sure. And we had food on us. And I'm like, we are walking targets and you are seeking them out. It was so irritating. <laughs> Bryce, if you're ever listening to this, you rotten bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the missing four will <laughs> Why do I feel like Bryce is just sitting on the other end, just stoic? We're like Probably. rotten. She's just sitting there, like <laughs> <laughs> he never listens to the podcast. The one time he did listen was the time I was like talking about him and not in a, a great way because I was like, he won't let me do this. So, but he did end up letting me do it, which was to see room ten forty six in Kansas City. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Which was so scary. See, I never- got the breakdown from you was he as freaked as you thought he would be he did not have full context as to what went down there because he had never listened to the episode and he did not want to know he just knew something dark went down in that hotel so when i you know was in the power and light district and we literally saw the hotel president i got a jolt of like panic and excitement because like you're just Mm -hmm. so close to like i don't know it's tangible it's real went in snuck up to the 10th floor probably illegal um and was scouring the hallways and you can just feel like a weird presence and i went down to the front desk and i was trying to play it coy and i'm like hi um so i'm just curious do people ever talk about the 10th floor in room 1046 and she goes (laughs) i kid you not she's like you mean the room where someone died i was like (laughs) yes and she was like all the time all the time she goes i don't want to hear it because i work here and i was like what do they say and she was like people see him and i was like that was when bryce was like we have to go (laughs) thank you so much have a great night exit good night (laughs) we went straight out and got some barbecue honey (laughs) good on her for not having ever had that come across her desk (laughs) like not being curious enough to read the actual story I mean, I think she loosely knew she knows the top line, like somebody died. But when you yeah. if you got into like the nitty gritty of the details of room 1046, yeah. that it's such a gnarly case. Like it would affect you in the workplace, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, was so, and then we got lost because we like got off on the wrong floor. It was it was eerie. That's enough. I know. 
All right, let me get back on track with <laughs> <laughs> Missing 411. So le- now that you have a little bit of backstory about like Missing 411 is a collective of cases or disappearances that fall within this bucket. So what exactly qualifies or classifies something to be a Missing 411 case? Now, the first breakdown of the theory talks about clusters, which I thought was really interesting. The missing 411 cases seem to be connected to a series of clustered areas in North America, which are considered hot zones for where the majority of these disappearances are currently occurring. In his project, he eventually was able to identify something like 52 clusters. These are known clusters in North America where you can basically make up the map of the majority, if not all, of the missing 411 cases. The other 11 factors that would constitute a case are national parks, while not all cases um, or clusters are in national parks. The vast, vast majority of these disappearances are concentrated to them. This also includes points um, that are consistent in every case, like high elevation changes, um, cases taking place or disappearances taking place near a body of water, near berry shrubs or boulder fields or swamps. And what is also included in this bucket for those who are found and are still part of a missing 411 case criteria is that if they are recovered alive, they seem to have no memory of their disappearance or where they went, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. They're often also found without clothing um, or parts of their clothing are missing and they can't explain it. And many times they are found in possible distances away from where they originally went missing, like distances they could not have traveled in like a day or two before being found, tens and tens of miles away. And they can't really explain how they got there, nor do they have any concept of how much time has passed. Isn't that weird? It's like a trance state or something. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say like, they, yeah, you go into like a hypnotic state or maybe your memory just gets erased. Or some people say it's like a portal. Like people get into all kinds of theories. They're like, this is like alien or this is, um, I don't know, like phenomenon, like, like, like supernatural, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. That's not really the approach that I'm going to take with these cases that I selected. I think it feels more logical that there is something out there that's taking these people just from the nature of like how the ones that are killed are actually found now the final component i will say that attributes to a missing 411 case is that canines who are brought in to help find these people all seem to experience confusion in the field something goes off with these dogs where they become very scattered and they can't really pick up a trace on someone and they start to wander or panic And just a couple of additional mentions here. Um, Although they're not considered like official criteria of a missing 411 case, these seem to be kind of consistent in very high numbers that we see children falling victim to a missing 411 case. And we also see German people visiting the U.S. who seem to go missing in this way, which is really odd. And there's no explanation for that connection there. That is so odd. Strange. Now, it may seem like these are isolated cases, but the consistency in hitting all of these points and how many cases fall into this category is actually kind of menacing. When we're talking about numbers, Stu, it's like tens of thousands missing under like a missing 411 category. So they've become part of the project. And literally just since um, like 2019, I pulled the stat here, since 2019, there have been an additional 1,200 people, which they think is an underreport, who have disappeared in our national parks and fit the bill to be a part of a missing 411 case based on the circumstances. That's like hundreds of people every single year concentrated to these just these 52 clusters that are vanishing. And we have no explanation for where they've gone. We can't find remains most of the time. And we don't have dogs that can pick up their scent. So something feels very, very off here, and it's the consistency of this that's so disturbing. And although there are countless cases of missing 411s, I wanted to just kind of dive into these select three to get your thoughts on these. But any initial thoughts just on the top line 
of what this project is. Well, you know what I think about the dogs. The dogs, to me, if the dogs can't pick up where they're going, that's so weird to me. So, something ain't right. Something ain't right. Um, there was <laughs> I, I saw it I in a comment thinking. recently. Somebody said something sour in the buttermilk. <laughs> I think I might have said that last podcast. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I think I might have. Because I say that sometimes like something sour in the buttermilk. I know. You've said it on one of the older episodes and somebody commented it and they were like, they were listening to one of our episodes and they were like screaming it when we were like, something's not right with this. And she was like, something sour in the buttermilk, baby. <laughs> oh my God. That's so, oh yeah, maybe it was way back. But that's, have they, so they have measured this since when? <sighs> I'd have to like, double check on this. I mean, I don't think his project started until he left the forest, but once it did start, he ended up like backtracing a lot of disappearances like through the 20th century and earlier in our national parks um, to kind of piece together, you know, how many people actually did go missing under these circumstances and can be bucketed into a missing 411. And there are so many cases, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, like tens of thousands of people. The fact that it's been so consistent is what's with without a logical like pointing to, you know, specific trails in certain parks where it's like they're extra dangerous or something like the fact that it's just kind of been happening for years and years and years and that the it's kind of all over the place. There's not like one specific element to point to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, aside from what you just pointed out, but like they're pretty generalized, you know, it's not like one trail or one scarier part. Right. It's like no, everywhere. I, I know what you, it's also weird to me that like in a lot of these cases, nothing is ever found. Like no remains, no clothing for some of them. Like they just completely disappear. What, like, what is that? I'm looking to you as if you've got an answer. (laughs) Like, Stu, what the hell is going on here? I know. You know what's so funny is I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day, and it was between um, Sasquatch and the Loch Ness Monster. Like, which one do you think would be more real than the other? Like, have the greater chance of being real? Mm -hmm. And this person's logic kind of stumped me because they said the Loch Ness Monster because we can't see so much of the ocean and the water that there's a greater chance for like Nessie to be hiding somewhere. And that if Sasquatch or the boogeyman were to exist, we can see in the forest, we can like, we would have a greater chance. There's more people going into parks that they would see Sasquatch. Well, and I'm like, in- or did they get taken? <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's we true. haven't seen them. <laughs> well, what's really interesting about you bringing that up is that one thing, and I'm going to get into it a little bit later because there are like, there's like a little paragraph I have about like theories about like what could logically be going on here. If you would look at a map, and actually I can send you a picture of one of the maps of these. Or you can look it up um, of the 52 clusters found in North America, and you would compare it to like um, a map of the known cave systems that run under the U.S., they coincide almost exactly. So a lot of the logic here kind of ties back like the disappearances to these caves and that if people are going missing in these hot zones, these hot spots in our national parks, and most of these are like entryways to these cave systems, the logical assumption is that people are getting taken into the caves. The question, or they're just wandering in and getting lost. The question would be is why would so many people wander into a cave they don't know anything about or what's bringing them into the cave. So that's my evidence for Sasquatch. I think I, Sasquatch seems more plausible to me than Nessie. I kind of thought the same thing. I want to believe. I, I also believe. think a cave is very similar to an ocean. I mean, it's so dark and like we've barely scratched the surface of all the caves in the world. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Caves do change, too, over time. I mean, like, caves shift and new passageways close, passageways open. Like, things change. And these are vast, vast systems I'm talking about. So, yeah, it's, it's like, impossible to imagine that all of these caves have been explored. They simply haven't. Now, should I get into a couple of these cases? Yes. <sighs> okay. Does this make you think twice before I do this, but like about going to a national park again? Is this like going to put all trips off the table? 
You know, I have to say I loved going to Yellowstone, but... She loves the scary spot. I do, but by the end of it, like, we got so close to, like, grizzlies, moose, bison. At one point, we were driving our car, and there was just bison, like, literally next to our car as we're going. And I'm like, Mm -mm. the fact that these massive creatures are out here, and there's people that actively... (laughs) Sorry, Bryce, but like go there and camp for days and days and days and kind of start to feel acclimated enough to be able to take risks and I'm sure go into caves and like want to explore more. I mean, it's just. Grizzlies is crazy. Like being around in grizzly land, no way could I ever, ever camp. Because like, first of all, you're going to have food on you. I mean, you have to eat. You're going to be camping. And, like, grizzlies will come in the middle of the night. They will, like, wreck up your campsite looking for food. And if you're just in the way or you become food, that's your problem. <laughs> like, And there's nothing you can do. They're not. It's not like a brown bear or a black bear where you can either play dead or you can jump up and try to scare them. Grizzlies do not care. They're not intimidated. No. <laughs> Unless you have bear it's spray. Like a, yeah, it's like the great white, white shark of the woods. Oof. What a great way to put it. The great white of the woods. <laughs> That's me when I haven't gotten a tan. <laughs> I'm wandering through the sequoias. <laughs> I was trying to think of the joke. I was like, I know there's a joke there and I don't. That's perfect. I have to suppress them sometimes. I'm like, I can't just be like a little bit, a little bit machine over here. All right. <clears throat> so let us discuss one of the eeriest and most well-documented missing 411 cases. The story of Charles McCuller, which I had never heard of this disappearance, but this is freaky as hell. So I'm going to take you back to 1975, and Charles is an experienced hiker. He's 19 years old, and he would frequently go and camp in the wilderness, kind of like Blake. (laughs) Um, He is set for this two-day trip where he is going to go to the Crater Lake National Park, which is located up in Oregon. Now, after day three, Charles was never heard from, so people assumed oh my God, like something really bad might have happened to him or he might be injured. So a search team went looking for him. And what's odd about this search effort is that the FBI gets themselves involved. And I didn't know this actually, but this is true. According to the FBI, at least at this time, they did not get involved in a case unless it was a kidnapping or it was a suspected foul play. So it was odd that they decided to involve themselves in this. Nobody really knows why. Um, Because Charles, at this point, is just a missing person in a national park. So a few months would pass. The search is going on. They never found the guy until we reach October 1st, 1976. A backpack and some keys were discovered in the woods 12 miles away from where Charles was last known, like his last known location. So police took the lead, and eventually they found the body of Charles McCuller. But something was very wrong with him. So they found his jeans sitting upright on a rock and inside the jeans contained his legs and the lower half of his body only. (gasps) So his shins, like his legs were inside the pants, but they were snapped into bone fragments and his socks were stuffed up inside the end of the jeans of the legs. They contained his broken foot bones. And something about the way his pants were positioned, it indicated that his pants were taken off, like, willingly. Like, it it wasn't like they were ripped off or anything. Like, the belt was removed. The buttons were undone. There was a way they were able to determine that. Just 12 feet from the lower half of the body that was sitting upright in the jeans was the rest of the decomposing upper half of the body with no explanation for any of this. The remainder of Charles' clothing, including his shirt, jacket, the shoes, any of his gear, completely missing. Never found. But what also made this odd was the location of where the body was, because it was so remote and so far off this trail that the search efforts, they had originally tried to, like, go into this territory, but they couldn't even get up there with, like, like snowmobiles, so they were like, there's feasibly no way that a man on foot could have gotten up like this icy side to a mountain. So why would we look there? To this day, there is no explanation 
for where the remainder of Charles' belongings went or what exactly happened to him in that national park. What are your initial thoughts on that story? Because that is some terrifying, terrifying stuff. So his body was like severed so in telling half. Me, severed in half and then placed up on a rock, half of it? Yes, but the bones that were inside the jeans snapped into shards. And when they found him, did it look like he had been like ripped like or just? It was like two years later. I mean, 76, he was so decomposed that it was just bones. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. But clear, that's I mean, that so... looks like that's bo- like bodily manipulation. Like that was not yeah. just like an animal, you know, like that was some that was something that did that. A person, I guess we'd it, assume. Yeah, or even if it was an animal at first, then somebody came and found him and like messed with it or something. Took Propped his stuff. Up, like bones that Gross. are in jeans on like a rock. Yeah. Left a human like torso and skull 12 feet away. It's so freaky. So weird. Oh, God. And it was on icy. He was on like an icy part of the trail. I think it was like, yeah, they said to get to this place, it was past like an icy part of the mountain. It was so high up in elevation again, which is one of like the, you know, the boxes to check for a missing 411 case that, yeah, it was definitely snowing. Like it was cold. And the only belongings I guess they really found were his backpack and his keys, which when those were first turned into police, that was how they were like, these belong to Charles. Like, this is our lead. We have to go look there. They initially, when they found the body, didn't know if it was him, but they eventually were able to determine this through dental records. Oh, my God. I I cannot imagine the moment where you realize, like, especially people like that that are, if I'm assuming, you know, he's hiking off trail or whatever and up really, really high because maybe he's a thrill seeker or whatever. Mm -hmm. The moment that you're like, oh, this has gone dreadfully wrong and I'm about to potentially lose my life. And you're just like out in the vast wilderness like that. That's so scary to me. I know. Have you, there's a, a movie about that, isn't there? Um, What am I thinking of? Into the Wild? Is that the movie? Well, I guess it's a little bit different, but similar um, concept of like a nomad who's like starving. He's living alone and he's, it's like him journaling his last few like weeks of his life. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I always think of 27, or is it, what is it, Solo? Free Solo. Oh, is it the one where he gets stuck between the rocks? The one where he gets stuck and he has to cut off his arm. Oh, I've never seen it. I've only heard of it. I haven't seen it either. I'm so risk adverse. I could never. (laughs) I I, I hear that, honey. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He said, hell yeah, girl. He said, leave those mountain hikers up there. That sounded extra loud and fast tonight. He flew by just now. He, he just was going flew. 65 miles per hour in a residential. He said, creep time has up my sales, so I can't even stop on this street anymore. I got to get to my next destination. Goes, I got to go make the rounds in Beverly Hills. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they tip. <laughs> they tip, sis. Oh, my God. Okay, That's let me bring so us back funny. down and let me actually get into our next story, which I have known about this story for so long and I never connected it to a missing 411 case until I was just rereading it and I was like, oh yeah, this is a Mount Rainier is a national park. But I knew this one solely because of like the sinister circumstances of like what happened during this climbing, the summit, I guess, of Mount Rainier. So let me get a bit into his story. This is Eric Lewis. So Eric Lewis, he disappeared off the slopes of Mount Rainier while he was with a group, and this took place in a very unusual way. It was on July 1st, 2010, and within the group, Eric was by far, like, the most experienced climber. Like, he had done so many summits. He had specifically done the Mount Rainier summit 10 times prior to this. So while they're going up this route on the ledge of the mountain, he's with two other climbers. So all three of them are attached to each other because the the weather's kind of picking up and visibility is starting to become compromised. So that's a common thing that you would do is you would attach a rope to yourself and to your partners so they don't lose each other. Now, the two climbing companions, we had Don Storm and Trevor Lane. They led the summit. So Eric was actually in the back. 
He is the last one attached to the rope. The weather is picking up. Visibility in the storm is getting a bit worse. But they continue to look back, they said, and they would check on him. They could see him. He was right behind them, like clearly visible the entire time. He's got like a bright jacket on. And then something chilling happened. Suddenly, in the middle of the snowstorm, this high elevation, they reached 13,000 feet, again, another box, the rope that was attached to Eric suddenly goes slack. And Don and Trevor feel it, and they look back, and they're, they're kind of in like a state of like instant confusion because he's gone. Like he was just there, and he's gone, and they start pulling the rope in towards them. To their description of the story, something, or presumably Eric, cut the rope in half. Now, there's no understandable reason for why Eric would have done that because it is massively dangerous to disconnect yourself from the group when you're on a summit and there is, you know, compromised visibility. So it seemed like something compelled him or forced him to cut through that rope to cut himself free. So Don and Trevor, they went running back down in the direction because this had just happened. So they're like, surely Eric could not have gone far. Like, there's just nowhere that he could run. It's an open side of a mountain. But in the span of seconds, he had somehow completely vanished out of their view from the mountain, and they had no explanation for it. So these two climbers, they panic. They start descending the mountain. They go down. And a search would eventually commence, I think, the same day as well as the following day to look for Eric Lewis, who was never found. All they eventually found was his backpack and his harness, which, oddly enough, had no traceable footprints around it. But they did find the footprints of the other two hikers who were up there with him. To this day, there is no one, no one who has ever found his body up on Mount Rainier, only ever that backpack and his harness, and I think his snow shovel. So whatever happened to Eric Lewis kind of remains a mystery, and why he cut that rope, we don't really know, but he quickly fell, with this being a national park, into the category of a missing 411 case. I almost wonder if he cut it because he could feel like something was like coming to get him, or... That was my thought, too. I was like, the only reason he would... So here's like two scenarios in my mind. The only reason he would cut that rope is either if he sees a visible threat, like an animal right. or something that's coming to get him, but they they would have assumed, like, you could hear each other. Like, they would have assumed he would have called out, like, heads up, look out, or something, or, like, run. He never did. It was complete silence behind them. And then all of a sudden, they just instantly, like, get the, you know, like, the physical jolt. They're like, oh, wait, there's, like, nothing behind us anymore. Like, wh- what's going on? They turn around. He's gone. Vanished. I also wonder if there's a possibility that the rope would have like potentially come undone or like have ripped. I I don't know what the kind of rope is that hikers use like when they're going up a summit together. But from the picture I saw, it looked pretty damn durable. Like you would have to intentionally cut through this thing with a knife. Okay. Because my other thought was maybe it came apart and then he couldn't see through the snow and then like lost his way and then which i can see that too but it's shocking to me that it was so instantaneous that they noticed he was gone and they were like oh my god we got to go back down in the direction like maybe he he got stuck or something or like he got hurt they go back down there they're calling out his name no response no visibility the guy is just gone which kind of led me to another theory where i was like okay If Eric cut that rope and it seemed intentional, did he have intentions to, like, go up there and, like, take his life? You know what I mean? Like, cut the rope and, like, die on the mountain? I was thinking that, too. It's just odd that, like, if that's the case, where are his footprints and where is his body? Years have passed. They've never found that body. It's close to 10 years now. And also very odd if if we do consider that. Um, he went up there to take his own life. Very odd to do that in the presence of other people. Most of the time they don't. I was going to say, I was like, it's usually like people isolating themselves. Right. It's a very, very strange story. And it's also odd because when they did find his harness, his backpack and his snow shovel, 
it almost looked in the location where they found it. It was like a, a ravine. It looked like he had started to dig a little bit, which is something you would do if you were going to try to lay down like a tent for the night, like camp. So that also does not spell a story of somebody who tried to take their life. But it also tells me that after he disconnected from that rope, I think we can assume he was alive for a little bit, right? Right. I Or I wonder, because he had done this so many times, that I don't know why you would do this, but maybe you get a little bit cocky and you're like, there's some part of the trail that I want to go explore on my own. Like mm-hmm. I, and maybe he said like, guys, I'm going to like cut myself off and like, go look at this thing. And then they didn't, is there a possibility they didn't hear him? And he just did something really, you know, silly and just went off on his own when he shouldn't have. That one doesn't track for me. So, I mean, I can see where your thinking is, but because he was so experienced and he was guiding this group really oh he was in the front no 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 no. he wasn't leading he was in the back but he is like the the most experienced so it would seem illogical if he was of sound mind that he was gonna like abandon these two you know hikers who are doing the summit with him and it's gonna send them into peril i just can't see him doing that like i'm sure he would know how irresponsible that is I, i i can't see him doing it either um just can't think of a logical explanation as to why he would cut it unless there was something coming to get him. What I can tell you is that where the backpack and the harness were found and the shovel, it was at the bottom of a ravine on the mountain, but it was very close to an open cave, which allegedly when they did search, they went as deep as they could into the cave and they never found any evidence that he had gone in there, like no footprints. They didn't find a body, but that is something to know if we're looking at this through the lens of missing 411 right by a cave. Is is the thought that potentially this like creature, if we're considering a creature of some sort, like uses the cave to uses cave routes to kind of like get around? Yes. Or could live in there? Okay. Yes. Uses cave, like underground cave routes, a system. And a lot of people don't believe it's just one creature. A lot of people think about like a whole collection of things in there, but they don't refer to them as creatures. They refer to them as like feral humans. Like there is an underground group of feral humans Ooh, that live, that. That live so beneath scary. the cave systems in the US. And they take the opportunity when people are roaming on these like remote passages through national parks to take them for whatever reason fair listen sasquatch scary feral humans death that's death. so scary crying feral crying humans tears crying pigs pig it's mask pig mask <laughs> it's the pig mask in the window <laughs> when we play this final recording in the next story you're gonna cry sis Oh, God. You're going to cry. <laughs> it's really, really, really dark, um, which I guess, <clears throat> let me see. So let's just first discuss this other case. I guess this would be the final case in the 411 arsenal that I've chosen. Now, I find this to be one of the most disturbing stories that I've seen across any of the missing 411 stories that I've looked at and I've scoured, I've looked on Reddit, I've looked left and right on the internet. The story of what happened to Henry McCabe, I cannot explain. And it is truly unlike anything that I have come across since I've started covering these cases. And I, this is the warning that I'm going to give. I will warn those who are listening, the following story is disturbing, and there will be an audio clip that is played detailing the last known minutes of what we believe happened to Henry McCabe. It's a voicemail. So to give you some backstory before I play it, in 2015, Henry McCabe, he was a 32-year-old father of two daughters. He was married to his wife, Corrine. Um, he worked as an auditor in Minnesota, had a very normal job, very upstanding guy, And then something very horrific took place that we still don't fully understand to this day. So while Henry's family, they were out of town, they were on a trip in California. He and his friends attended a nightclub in Spring Lake Park. And they were, you know, having a good night, really good time. They're drinking, they're partying. 
And this was on the night of September 6th, 2015. After 2 a.m., when they left this club, Henry asked his friends, I think there were two of them in the car, to drop him off at a gas station. He was very intoxicated, and for whatever reason, the friends agreed. And there is security footage, I think eventually, of the friend dropping him off at the supposed time, 2 a.m., at the gas station, before Henry gets out and then kind of disappears out of view. Exactly 28 minutes later, after he was dropped off and seen on camera, Henry McCabe called his wife at 2.28 a.m., screaming over the phone, saying, I've been shot. And then there was an unintelligible and like horrific grunting sound, and then the call disconnected. She is completely in shock and bewildered and terrified. So she's trying to get in touch with him. She's trying to call his brother, like trying to call for help. So while she's on the phone, he calls again and it goes to voicemail, which is where we get this two minute voicemail, which is the last known audio of Henry McCabe. And it has gone down in history with unsolved cases as one of the most chilling ever heard. It is two minutes. I'll tell you a little bit about what you're going to hear. It is two minutes of what is believed to be Henry shouting and speaking kind of unintelligibly um, towards someone. Nobody can really tell what he's saying. There are a few words. The audio, is, they've tried to enhance it multiple times. There's a few words and phrases we think we can make out. Something that says, I'm not going in there. It's dark, which sent a gut-wrenching feeling down to my stomach. I'm not going in there. It's dark. And it is mixed with these extreme wails of pain and cries, and the sound of something growling in the background. Although there is no animal expert that has ever been able to identify what this is on this recording. At the very end of the voicemail, it's believed that you can hear Henry say, stop it, before the voicemail completely cuts out. Now, Henry's body was later found on November 2nd, and it was four miles away from that gas station in Rush Lake, a location that falls within one of the clusters of missing 411. To the examiner's shock, despite his calls of distress and his clear indications that he was screaming in pain, claiming he was shot and yelling at someone or something, his body had zero injuries. There were no wounds, and there was no evidence, no marking evidence of a struggle or a fight on his body or his clothing. And ultimately, after an autopsy, they determined he drowned. Police were able to eventually rule out the friends and anyone who was connected to him. They couldn't find any connection to this, and there was nothing to explain what happened to him. And the reason this gets included in Missing 411 is because of the sounds of the growling in the background. So I am going to play for you the final voicemail of Henry McCabe. And this is really difficult to find on the internet because the, the news has only ever released snippets of it. So somebody compiled all of the snippets together to create the original voicemail, and it's been enhanced. These are the last two minutes of what is known of his final hour, and this is the final warning, Creepers. It is a chilling audio clip, and it will disturb some people, so please be cautious when deciding whether or not you do want to hear this. All right.
I'm shaking from that. I'm so, like trying to <laughs> even make out like what I think was the animal and what was him. Any of the voices, it's it's confirmed that most of the voices that sound like a person talking, that's him. And then it gets intermixed with like what we think are his screams. And then there is something in the background that is like, it's making a sound that's not human. It's growling or it's some kind of like a, I, I don't even know. I don't, it almost sounds like a bear's growl, but. I thought the same thing. I was like, that sounds like a bear. He has no injuries. Found with no injuries, no sign of struggle. Drown. That That's crazy to me because the ending of that sounds like somebody that just got like mutilated and is laying there in pain going, ah, like just agony trying to fight through the pain. Yeah, Whereas well, at he, the beginning, it sounded more like. He was talking. Something attack. Yeah. Well, he was talking in the beginning. He was talking. He yeah. says very in the at like second fourteen in that voicemail, he says something like, oh, I, "I gotta get the actual like quote um, that somebody decoded it as, but it's something like, I'm not going in there. Oh yeah, I'm not going in there where no one can see." Which I immediately after reading all of this research, I was like thinking, "The cave, mm-hmm. the cave. I'm not going in there where no one can see the cave." Oh, it's so. Damn chilling. So at the beginning, this is not him. This isn't him on the phone with his wife. Like she's on the other line or this is just. No, this is a voicemail. Yeah. So he had already. Here's the thing is like there was a call before this voicemail where he said, I've been shot. And then was like screaming. And she was like, what do you like? What do you mean you've been shot? Like who's with you? Who's with you? And he's it's like unintelligible. Like he's incoherent. Now I'm starting to buy the whole creature thing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just such a strange thing to think of. It's odd in and of itself. It's even stranger that this happened four miles away from where he was last seen on camera, which happened 28 minutes after he was seen and dropped off. Like, that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover, I guess. And like 28 minutes before this call, the second call comes in. So he was actually there earlier i'm gonna assume like 26 27 minutes what how do we explain that not a single injury on his body i'm I'm trying to think maybe he was i know he had been heavily intoxicated could he have been sort of hallucinating something shooting him if there was no injury found on him and then they eventually do a talk screen i don't think they came back with any illicit drugs it was just alcohol he had been drinking all of his friends had been drinking yeah but hallucinating from alcohol isn't terribly common but i just just, don't know why he would say he was shot i don't know that either i'm perplexed by him saying i've been shot and I'm perplexed by whatever that was that was making that noise in that background. Because that is, it sounds like a bear, but I don't, I almost don't think so. And he's like talking to it, which is weird. Yeah. You know, he's like yelling in pain and then talking to it. And like, he's responding to something saying like, I'm not going in there where no one can see. Like that, you you would never say that to an animal. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand yeah, what this being, is. Like- demanded to do something he's talking to a person or what he thinks is a person that's what's terrifying to me and do you know where they found the body it was in the lake it was just in the lake okay in the lake it wasn't like in a cave in a body of water or something it was well that is the other criteria is that these cases often do happen one of the boxes is next to a body of water and the zone where it happened is one of the zones in minnesota it's one of the clusters that's so weird it really is his case it is chilling and it resurrected a lot of these feelings um and these debates just about the possible connection to the missing 411 and those unexplained noises that you heard in the background 
because nobody knows if that was an animal, which animal that could be. But the most disturbing, like I said, um, and you had mentioned before, is that he claims he was shot. And if he wasn't, we have to assume that maybe he was just so gravely injured and he was confused that he thought he was shot. And yet we have no evidence of an injury. So for a lot of people, that has pushed something further into the realm of like phenomenon, like paranormal or supernatural kind of experience. Maybe it's a little Nahani Valley. I didn't even actually conflate the two, but this is very similar. It was kind of reminding me of an, you know, like something like Stranger Things, like a Demogorgon kind of creature, something that just lures you and then just like, like destroys you in some way, like mentally and then physically. Like, it's just very, very bizarre that he clearly personified whatever it was that was yes, yes. there. Oh God, that just gave me chills. I hate that voice. I mean... I hope his family, and I know they have listened to it, I hope they don't have to listen to that very often. And I know that people probe it and they reference it a lot because this is a case that, like, is desperate for answers. Like, I would, this is one that I would need to see a solve for. I need to know some logical explanation for how we explain that voicemail coming 27, 28 minutes after he's seen on camera four miles from this location. The thing about that voicemail that's really resonating with me is that he clearly at the end is like still trying to fight and stay alive. Like whatever it was didn't totally take him down yet. I but just can't he imagine sounds what like it he's in full physical pain. It sounds like he's. He's like been like, bitten or something. Yeah, like, he's like getting how is he? At her. He's, he's like, it sounds like yeah. a bear attack. This is what I could imagine a bear attack sounds like if you were on the phone. Nothing. Accidental drowning. That's so weird. There's virtually no explanation for it, but that was the final missing 411 case that I had. So I guess the question is, what do we think all of this could be? And I don't really have a group of theories here, but I'll just kind of give you my top line paragraph. I mean, what feels the most logical if we're talking about this in the sense of the clusters, and since they run in tandem with one of the largest underground cave systems, it does feel like if there is something out there, it is hiding in the cave systems around North America. It is coming out when it is opportune to do so, when it sees someone prey that it can take. The question is, what is it and why does it want people? So many people have been lost to these caves. And there's also theories. I mean, we can go back to Sasquatch. People talk about skinwalkers, all of these things. But for me, the most jarring is the thought of feral humans. I will not get over that. Ever. Ever. That will keep me away from national parks for life. If if I like feral humans... The well, hills have whole, eyes. Get I'm out. I'm telling you, that's a whole thing. Like growing up, like be careful. There's mountain men out there. Not to gender deliverance <laughs> box. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, but there's you could do it to men. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a whole thing because I do think when you're that isolated for an extended amount of time, you do start to lose touch with reality and the structure of social life like i can't think about that that's so scary to think about coming across like a thing that looks human and is a human it's happening (laughs) i'm I'm crying (laughs) and they're like popping out of a cave and hunting you hunting hunting you. you oh but what's even crazier is like how do we explain all the other phenomenons that are connected to this of people who like don't remember what the hell happened to them like what 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 is that? What is going on? <laughs> Somebody answered the missing 411 mystery well, for me. See, that's the part that also trips me up is that humans have the capacity for like psychological warfare on other humans. So it's mm-hmm. like could part of that be some sort of weird 
psychology where you're like out in the parks long enough, you come into contact, like see it hunting you. And you're like, that's not a real thing. And then all of a sudden one day it just decides to like strike or something. That's so freaky. I was just thinking too, I was like, I know how people always have a conspiracy that the government knows about aliens or extraterrestrial life and they're like hiding it. What a dark and disturbing and harrowing thought to think about the government being aware of like a mass underground cave system of feral humans that they've been keeping contained. (laughs) And that's why national parks exist with rangers to like keep the entrances regulated. (laughs) Stop. If that's not a, if that's not a screenplay, it needs to be one. That, oh, but like, then we're just counting down the days until the rebellion, the uprising from the cave systems. I, you wouldn't see me again. You wouldn't see me again. I'd go really high up. I'd go to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, 100%. Get me in that torch. (laughs) Give me that that torch. Give me me in that torch. It's kind of reminding me of, um, I just watched for the first time this past weekend, uh, Resident Evil. Oh, Have you yeah. ever seen Resident Evil? And it's long like time how, ago. Long, long time ago. Long time ago. But like that whole underground, you know, Raccoon mm-hmm. City or whatever, that's like meant for a certain echelon of people to like stay alive. That it's just, it's weird to think it's, I mean, all of this comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. All these thoughts come from somewhere, from There's rumors and lore. And yes, yes. So it's just, I don't think it's impossible. I don't. I mean, well, we're we're kind of running on fumes here, like thinking about how we could explain some of, you know, what is unexplainable here. But that is really as far as we can go with the information we have. And I would say the closest thing that we have to proof here that something is going on are that these statistics continue to skyrocket around the disappearances and the mysterious deaths taking place in or near our national parks. So the question is, what do we make of it? And will we go camping? Have we not already established? (laughs) You know, in my mind, I was thinking, do not pull your outward bound card, do not pull it. But all I could think about <laughs> You're was... You're biting your lip, quivering, trying I'm not like to say quivering. it. I'm like quivering. When we had to put all the food up in the bear trap, the, uh, like yes. put the... The bear lock, yeah, every yeah. night. The bear lock. Or the oh, bear... Yeah. We would literally r- roll it up into the trees. You have to. In the sequoias, they have those locks, those like lockers everywhere. And they have a... Yeah. They have um, a sign that says like, how many days have passed since we've had a bear break in? Every time I've gone, been like three or four times. I've never seen it more than one. No. A bear break-in? Get out. Goodbye. <laughs> out Goodbye. Bound stories. Yeah, we can't go camping after this. I think we've ruined camping for a lot of people, and we're probably going to get a letter from, I don't know, who runs the national parks. <laughs> and be like, We've you know, misinformation banned. is a dangerous, a dangerous thing. <laughs> I try to go to Rock Creek Park this weekend, and it's just they know me and they just block me out i can't come in oh we're on a list for sure like trying to get a national we're park on a pass list. not a chance but just like camping overnight in a national park i don't have the interest one I, before this whole story about the the underbelly of the feral humans it's just too remote for me like if i'm going to a campground I've got to have like a lake nearby that's got like a little section roped off where we can swim. I've got to have a convenience store, other campers literally five feet away from me on my campsite. Like I need people. I don't I don't need to be in the forest. I also just need to be able to get out fast. Like if something were to go awry, I need to be able to get out fast. And Sequoias takes an hour to get down the mountain. Yes, yes. I mean, people go in and like your trail starts and you kind of can't deviate from your path once you start. So that's what freaks me out about it. Going into these big national parks with the big trails that people, you know, plan for months, how they're going to get around. Like, 
I mean, some are more manageable than others, and some are just so incredibly vast. That, like, and I, I know, like, um, I think it's Yosemite that's really, really common for these experiences. What people talk about, they talk about hearing like screams and wails, kind of similar to the sounds you heard in that voicemail um, through the forest, like as the sun is going down. That's another like trend in this. A lot of people talk about like sundown being a thing and like these things can't be in the sun which if you remember Mm -hmm. is a direct correlation to the nahani valley (laughs) that like yeah sundown you have to like stay put and like anchor down because you will see things in the woods totally i mean if if it's any sort of animalistic even if if it's like a cross between a human and an animal i mean no chance it's going to be out in the daylight. It's got to, it, it's feeding time has got to be when its prey is vulnerable. Yes. Oh, you're making this even worse. It's it already got me at like a 10 in terms of scary. And you're making it scarier. <laughs> I'm like, I've seen one on Outward Bound. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and with that, creepers. This is just, I should just say, this is us scratching the surface for Missing 411. Like, this could be, like, a 10-part series because the cases, the mysteries are, like, endless on this. But I I really do think of all of the ones that I came across, the Henry, the Henry McCabe one is by far the most unnerving. Oh, absolutely. Well, if this is any precursor to what's going to come on Halloween, make sure that you guys tune in on October 31st because we are going to have a jam-packed episode that is going to make y'all sh** a brick, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> term. <laughs> 111, what are we at? <laughs> I'm like, that came at the... We. This is now our thing. We just bookend our episodes with... Because it's easy for the shit. editing. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy yeah. for <laughs> me pulling up my notes again. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> And with that, Creepers, we are going to catch you next week for another episode in addition to the Halloween specials. So we hope that you'll stick around. Before you leave, make sure that you're following the podcast. Make sure that you spread the word about Creep Time. And we will say goodbye and good luck.